What'd you say? That's why she always outsmarted the killer in the big chase scene at the end. Only virgins can do that. Don't you know the rules? What rules? You don't... Jesus Christ, you don't know the rules? Uh, have an aneurysm, why don't you? There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. For instance, number one, you can never have sex. Big no-no! Big no-no! Oh, dead man. Sex equals death, okay? Number two, you can never drink or do drugs. No, the sin factor. It's a sin. It's an extension of number one. And number three, never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. I'm getting another beer. You want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. Oh! You see, you push the laws and you end up dead. Okay, I'll see you in the kitchen with a knife. Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Here's Johnny! You're gonna need a bigger boat. Here, here. The power of Christ compels you! The power of Christ compels you! Be afraid. Be very afraid. Sometimes, that is better. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of the Screaming Cinema Podcast. Uh -oh. uh, I am one of your hosts, uh, Tyler, joined as always uh, by my co-host Max. Hello, hello. How you doing, Max? Good. Excited for this episode. I love this movies. I uh, I think I'm 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 more excited for these than I have been. Uh, in the in the last few recordings definitely definitely love the scream series um and he was absent uh last episode but he's back with a fiery vengeance it's uh <laughs> it's it's james cole clay how's it going hey hello hello uh, i was trying to do a ghost face voice but unsuccessfully right there uh hey i love these movies and so that's why i immediately jumped into action off my quarantine couch and uh popped in these movies and watched them ferociously, and I'm here. Well, I don't, I don't blame you for not joining us on the underwater uh, <laughs> episode, oh. but you know, yeah, I, I didn't like that movie. I did not like that movie. What was the other one? Remind me. Uh, the platform. Oh, that was a little more interesting. The platform was good. Yep. At least it was a little more deep than. Uh, you know. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> It's like a reverse punt pun there. I know, I know. Yeah. I'll be here all well, I guess they're yeah, both so, uh, Yeah, so underwater goes up, but the platform goes up. Well, I guess the platform goes down, too. Yeah, <laughs> it goes up or down, so. depending on what level you're on. Yeah, exactly. That was a cool I, movie. I liked it. I would rather be doing Spiral like we were supposed to be doing what this month. Oh. Instead, it's delayed for another 12 months. A whole year, man? Dude. Come on. That sucks. Yeah, they didn't want to that compete sucks. with the uh, other movies in October with like 30 movies opening up. So I mean, can you blame them? But dude, nope. I am dying to see that movie. Same. Same. God, uh, it looks amazing. After uh after the very disappointing uh Jigsaw, I am oh, I am, come on. I'm definitely yeah, was... uh ready for them to take it in a, 
a, a new direction, I guess you could say. Because we, you were gonna talk about the Saw movies, right? We were, That's yeah. what was on the schedule. We were, yeah. Yeah, we're gonna do two episodes for all of them, I think, and then the franchise um, oh, man. review or the yeah franchise review, and then the new one. But got delayed. It's fine. We'll do it next year. Hopefully, we can still do Halloween this year. We'll see. Apparently, uh, on the news uh, oh. topic sheet uh, today is. Oh. AMC and Regal saying that they're not going to be playing any Universal movies anymore after they released Trolls straight to VOD and with the success of what 100 million plus said they're going to continue that model potentially here in the future. So we'll see who uh, who jumps first for Chicken because either one of them is going to get screwed if the other one doesn't do exactly what they're supposed to do. If AMC doesn't get Halloween on Halloween, then no one's going to go there. And if Halloween doesn't get AMC and Regal's box office, then it's going to bomb. So that's kind of crazy. What do you guys think? So I'm I'm trying to go back and forth of who actually has the upper hand here because, you know, AMC, uh, I think, is the first or second largest theater chain in the country. So that would be a huge hit to Universal. But... You know, if you if you look at Universal, obviously one of the top five, you know, studios uh, in the industry. So that would definitely hurt uh, AMC's business. So neither one of them are doing uh, the other any favors uh, in this. Um, and it'll definitely hurt. Like if you live in a smaller market where all you have is an AMC available, um, that would really suck because you'd have to suck. like drive to see just any any number of Universal films that come out. I'm glad we live in a in a larger market to where uh, yeah. that's not an issue. But uh, but yeah, for people in in small to mid markets, that would that would suck. That's a great point because I think we have like I have like six or seven theaters you can choose from within 25 minutes. So if one's exactly. not playing at yeah, other time, I have like two or three backups and then obviously like the, um, Alma draft house and other brewery, exactly. um, movie theaters kind of cool, but sucks for those in Kansas or <laughs> middle of nowhere where you have like one movie theater. That's half an hour away already. What would be playing in Woodsboro? Uh, I would say, uh, I would say stab three return to Woodsboro. Yeah, I would think so too. I mean, yeah, I, I was just trying to think of the size of Woodsboro when I was watching it, like what it's comparable to. Like, do they have big theaters there? Do they get, you know, cause they're in California. It's probably a suburb. How far, away from, how far are they away from, you know, the, the, the big Metro areas where you're getting like, go to the Angelica to see whatever. Well, based on the downtown uh, from some of the movies, it, it seems pretty small. Um, you know, if if I were to guess, maybe twenty to thirty thousand people, maybe. Okay. Okay. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's things that people think about, but I, I mean, certainly was when I was watching it. But I mean, I think between you two guys, y'all probably accounted for forty dollars of that one hundred million for Trolls World Tour. That's yeah, right. We did. Right. Heck yeah. So, you know, people went crazy for it. I was not part of that party, but I may jump on for Scoob. So we'll see how that goes. That's right. Uh, you uh, know, I saw the trailer for it. It was kind of cheesy, but, you know, I, I'm down. I think it's cool, but... The, the the new way they're doing it now makes more sense. So Trolls, you paid $20 and it's gone in 48 hours. The buy for 25 is much better because for $5 more, you have it forever instead of having to rebuy the Blu-ray for another 20. So then you're 40 in instead. So I'd be much more willing to hop on a blind buy for something that I would own forever, as opposed to just the rentals. It's gotta be top notch for those. Yeah. yeah. Cause if you dig it, but man, like 
I don't know. I, I read this article today about this dude who went to uh, a movie theater in Kyle, Texas, the Santicos chain. It's like right outside of San Antonio. Yep. And the way they take your temperatures, they like, I, I don't know if this is accurate, but they said they put like a something against your forehead or something like that, like a laser or something like that against your forehead. So it's not like you're like doing like a thermometer or like sticking something in your ear or something. But, um, you know, I, I just... I don't really miss, I mean, I do miss going to the movies, but I'm just not, like, I'm kind of enjoying this period of movie watching that we're in, having these movies at home, and how they're just kind of bouncing on there, but I love going to the movies. I, like, go, like, a hundred plus times a year, but I don't know. I'm still kind of okay with the way things are going, and it's going to be different, and I'm, I'm kind of open to it. Are you... Are you going to be saying that when Chris Nolan's movie comes out in July or the next Marvel movie comes out and stuff like that? No, I mean, Chris Nolan, I really, that's something I have to go see on the big yeah, screen. Exactly. I mean, but, like watching that for but, the first time at home, like, like that's no, just not right. No. You know? No. Nope. Like, no, but I mean, but at the same time, like, I went to go see that Will Ferrell movie, uh, Downhill, in a theater, and that was an amazing experience. The skiing scenes, it looks amazing on the big screen compared to at home. So even still, stuff like that. It's like a little comedy. Like I, I still want to see that on the big screen if possible. Yeah. But at the same time, it's expensive and not everybody has that access to as many theaters and to screenings and things like that. So, I mean, it's it sucks. It's a, it's in a bit of a predicament. And I think people now, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like I enjoy being at home and it's great being with my family at home. And so I don't know. I think people are going to continue to want to do that. So see, I, I, I like I that too, but I love the weekly or bi-weekly getaway where you got, you know, just some time sure. to yourself and the theater is nice, but that's probably because Tyler and I have kids and you don't, but sure. Sure. Yeah. I love that too. I mean, I love my girlfriend and I love my dogs, but yeah, like I escape, I escape from that, you know, to go I, the movies is like a brain massage, you know? So sometimes it's a little harder to concentrate at home. So, you know, it just depends, but it, I, dude, I've got to see Tenet on the big screen. I've got to see Mulan on the big screen, you know, Come on. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't care to what, whatever's about Mulan. <laughs> well, well, I'm kidding. What was the last thing y'all saw? What was the last thing you saw before the shutdown? Bad boys for in the, life in the theater. Uh, nice. I saw, um, what did I say? Sonic. Nice. Okay. I saw onward. That was the last thing I saw. Okay. Nice. Okay. So, well, I'm hoping, uh, hoping, you know, that, uh, Wonder Woman and, uh, um, uh, I, I'm totally blanking on, uh, Nolan's movie. Black Widow. Oh, Tenet. Yeah. Yeah. Tenet. Um, that those release dates in July stay and, uh, we're able to get back in, uh, sooner rather than later. Um, yep, I'll definitely go to those. I'm not going to go see American Sniper. Or they're playing like some some classics here in uh, in Texas, and I'm I'm no interest of that. Only reason I go to the theater would be like a top ten movie of all time or just straight new movies. Otherwise, it's not worth it. Completely agree. Um, I guess the only other bit of news it's kind of fitting uh, with the episode uh, in the last couple of weeks. So we've gotten a few uh, little blurbs about uh, Scream Five possibly happening. Um, you know, everyone thought that when, uh, Wes Craven, uh, ultimately passed away that, you know, the Scream series was, was completely dead, um, and, and it would stay dead. Um, but just recently in the last like three or four months, uh, there's been, uh, resurrected talks of, uh, you know, a fifth entry happening. And, uh, the latest is, uh, it is to be directed by 
the uh, duo from Ready or Not, uh, Matt Bittinelli Open and Tyler Gillett. And uh, I've shared with Max and Cole both just how much I loved Ready or Not. Uh, and when it was announced that these two uh, might be taking on the new Scream, uh, I was I was super stoked. Um, what do you guys think? I'm totally in on it. I saw a Spyglass Media Group bought it, and there's a lot of things that were unknown, but I saw Kevin Williamson's producing. And this last month, I think there was a rumor that uh, Nev Campbell was in talks to reprise her role. So I would definitely be interested to see it. Like I think we talked before on the sequels episode, I love Scream. So if the movie's horrible or amazing, I'm going to go see it. No matter what they put out, I'm going to watch it. So I'd prefer more than just rewatching the same ones over and over again. So I'm definitely in. I love Ready or Not too. It's interesting. Um, I could see them do an interesting take on it, especially with uh, Kevin Williamson in the background kind of uh, leading along and hopefully helping with the uh, script development on like Scream 3. I um, mean, yeah, more. <laughs> I, I want more too. I was kind of caught up in what you were saying. Um, but I, I'd forgotten about it. I, for some reason, I thought Blumhouse was doing it. And then I uh, totally remembered. I guess it's just the quarantine brain. But like, I'm pretty stoked. Are we ready or not? It's cool. But um, I was thinking about watching the Scream TV series as well. Uh, I think that's on Netflix. I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't really know anything about it. I watched the first season, and it's kind of Same. like if you can if you can get into that YA mode, like the uh, the, C- uh, the the CW shows, like Legacy. It has a bit of that. I mean, obviously, there's some cool scares and stuff, but it's all about kind of hot hot co-eds uh you know doing mm. stuff and that kind of thing and parties yeah. and like the idyllic high school life so kind of takes away from things gotcha. that scream have with more of a not realistic because obviously it's not everyone has huge houses and their parents are always gone for parties but um you know it's it's fun to watch if you have nothing else to watch but i stopped after the first season because it got a little bit too okay. too much for me and honestly gotcha. i could i could never get past you know, the change that they made to the mask. Like, I'm like, if you don't have the original ghost face mask, like, I don't really think you can call it scream. Um, sure. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't get that. I don't know. But yeah. Um, like you, I only watched the first season and like, it was okay. Like, you know, I, I wasn't expecting that much from it, but uh, you know, I mean, if you have a weekend to kill and you know, <laughs> and if you're a fan, like, I mean, you know, you could do worse. For sure. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't. A fifth movie. I, I think it's t- enough time has passed, though. Yeah. That they could just totally reboot it. So I just don't know what route they'll take. Are they going to be talking about Blumhouse movies <laughs> in the scripts? Are they going to talk about? I mean, what else? Get out. I guess that is Blumhouse, but I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. You know, I don't I know mean, how they're going to send up. I mean, as genre. as long as they just bring just some type of new fresh take on it. Like, you know, I felt like three and four kind of were, were treading water a little bit and, you know, uh, definitely weren't the strongest ones of the series. We'll get into that later, but um, I don't know as, as long as five brings something new to the table and you know, that, that duo, uh, you know, just can bring it uh, to this new generation of, of, of a resurgence in horror and just kind of comment on that, then, you know, I think I think it definitely has the possibility to be something special. I think and they should cast it. I think they should go the route of uh, doing something like Halloween or these other things are doing. Do like a, a seek requel or you know 
take away other things or just kind of reboot it or something. Cause they get into the issue where they run out of characters to kill or people to kill like four were with, uh, you know, her, her unknown family <laughs> from before. And there's all new characters that have nothing to do with it, but they still want to tie back in the old characters at some point. We're not going to want to, or need to see uh, Dewey and, um, you know, Nev Campbell there. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm up for just, starting completely new with it. I think after four I think just just kill the past do the last Jedi I mean the one Star Wars reference I'll give you but <laughs> I mean bring bring Nev Campbell back but don't make her the focus this time is is kind of what I'm thinking um, you know have her be the uh, the Luke Skywalker if you will <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes I, I love it to, to a new generation of uh, of, of roadkill uh, teenagers who are going to get slaughtered. So, except for showing them the uh, the force, he's going to show them how to survive because that's their only skill. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, um, before uh, we get into it, um, going through the, the uh, Scream series, uh, I just want to add that uh, you know uh, the Scream series is built on mystery and who done it. Uh, I, I feel like these movies have been around for uh, almost twenty years uh, for the most part. So we will be discussing. Uh, who who the killers are and their intentions so if you don't want to be spoiled uh at at this point uh flip off the podcast and go watch the scream series and come back but uh yeah we're excited to uh hop into the scream series we're gonna go uh one through four and then uh, at the end we're gonna uh tell our personal uh favorite rankings so uh let's uh let's jump right in guys what do you think hell to the yes all right Kick it off. All right. Uh, first off, uh, 1996, uh, the first film in the franchise, uh, aptly titled Scream, uh, directed by the Wes Craven, uh, written by Kevin Williamson. Um, this movie had uh, quite uh, a path to get to the theater. Um, it was originally titled simply Scary Movie, and uh, I know that the script uh, was shopped around uh, to a lot of studios uh, in the mid-90s. Um, you know, if you know anything about the 90s, the 90s was not a good time for horror. Uh, it was a very uh, dead period, um, you know, from the heyday of the 80s. Uh, a lot of crap uh, was coming out in the uh, early to mid 90s. And, uh, you know, Wes Craven himself actually even said he didn't know that if he wanted to do um, another horror film just because, you know, he had already done, you know, Hills Have Eyes and um, you know, nightmare and, and, and all that. And so he really wasn't sure if he wanted to jump back into a new horror franchise. Um, but, uh, he was finally convinced and, uh, jumped into the project. And, you know, when, when Scream was released, uh, you know, not a lot of people expected, uh, just the, just legacy that it would bring to the horror franchise. I mean, it, it completely just, um, you know, revived the horror industry and really just, you know, started kicking off this, you know, self-aware, just horror comedy satire that, you know, would be seen for, you know, many years to come. Um, and personally for me, it was one of the films that really ignited my love for the horror genre. Uh, I snuck into a movie theater when I was 10 years old uh, with a friend uh, and saw the first 10 minute scene uh, and then we left because we were too freaked out. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, 
what are your guys' uh, first uh, first memories of the of the first screen film? Oh man, this movie! <laughs> like listening to what you were saying about it, man. Like this movie not only like ignited my love for horror and let me know that it was like okay and I wasn't gonna like die watching a movie. Uh, even though this movie was scary, I mean, watching it now, it's not. But you know, it it ignited my love for movies in general. Like it's still to this day is still one of my all time favorite movies. It it holds up so well. But for some reason, because of that, you know, like I was watching this uh, documentary called Still Screaming. It's on YouTube, but it's like an hour and a half long. And Matthew Little Lillard talks about you know there's so many times where. You know, in movies, you want them to feel timeless, but this movie was like the complete opposite of that, and it really wanted to feel of its time. And for some reason, that little bubble that it was stuck in somehow still works and somehow still is fun, even though it is cheesy. But I think it, you know, it knows it's cheesy, but it is. You know, like I'm looking at like the front of my VHS tape of it, and it says it's clever, hip, and scary. And I'm like, yeah, it still is clever, hip, and scary. And uh, the cast is incredible. I mean, you know, there's so many things that I love about it, and so much of the characters that I love, and like that central core character, you know, between Dewey, you know, Sydney and Gale, and it, it becomes so strong, it loses some of like the mystery of like who could die and who couldn't die. So you're like, oh well, this person's showing up, so they're gonna be the killer or whatever it is. But the movie still does enough to still make it enticing with those with those characters, and still you know finds enough like. The ultimate red herrings, we were joking before I think we were recording about how many red herrings these movie has. But, man, I, I love them. It's like my favorite horror franchise. It's so much fun to watch. Um, I love them. And it, it's probably just because I grew up with it. Like, yeah. Totally. It was my total gateway into it. But I, I, I just love them so much. I actually wrote down uh, that uh, the first film feels like a warm blanket, and I put it on anytime. Like, I want to feel better. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's one of the only horror movies that I can still do that with. Um, you know, it just takes me back to when I was a kid for sure. Um, that, that's, that, right. that's a great way to put it because I feel the same way. Like once that those keys come in from the score, it's just like, you feel so damn good. I don't know what it is. And I think for us being similar age, it's like 1996 was a time where we can kind of go back in the capsule where we were, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years old and we can remember those things and it's fun to, to see what it would have been like to go to high school there. It's kind of like uh, our 80s movies that we were growing up from and I like that it's trapped in the time capsule. Um, obviously, Kevin Williamson had a uh, kind of took some stuff from Halloween for this film and I think that's part of the reason I like it so much too is you have, Same. you know, masked killer stalking suburbs and it's just it's just so good and Wes Craven it's honestly one of my favorite movies of him maybe my favorite oh yeah um it's on my top 10 list obviously but uh just love the film like you said love the cast and the thing that I like about it is if you're a horror nerd especially rewatching it that's like one of the most fun parts is all of the horror trivia the stuff with um with uh, Randy, all the stuff going on that they talk about all the horror movies and it's just like fun to kind of be in, in there with them and enjoy that stuff. So, um, obviously on my top 10, so love this movie. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a handful of movies, you know, in the eighties, uh, and early nineties, you know, kind of dabbled in, you know, um, you know, satire and, you know, self, uh, self-referencing, you know, genre tropes and, you know, stuff like that. But this film just kind of, like broke the mold and, you know, really dived into something that, you know, only, you know, a, a few other films that only dabbled in and, you know, really kind of just kind of set the stage for, you know, being the, 
you know, one of the first smart horror films, you know, that, you know, and, and, and kind of gave horror like a, a, a better reputation, really, because, you know, there was a lot of schlock released, uh, you know, toward the late 80s and, and 90s. But I feel like, you know, this kind of, you know, made it cool to like horror again. Um, and it was just one of those kind of perfect storms that, you know, happened at just the right time with just the right cast and, you know, just the right, you know, everything just kind of fell into place. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's constant references of just horror classics and rules. I mean, it, it's, and I, I just feel like that's what just makes it so fun. Like we always talk about how, you know, we wouldn't do this in horror films and, you know, and, and, and so on and so forth. And these characters are, are living, you know, us screaming at our, our, our TV sets saying, don't go in that door. And I've, I've always loved that about scream, just how it's so, um, you know, smart and it, it, and it treats its audience, you know, like they're smart too. So, um, 1996 was awful by the way. I just was curious cause I know you said the nineties were bad. I just looked up 1996 horror movies and besides, uh, from dust to dawn and the craft, you got the dentist, you have tremors too. You got children of the corn Four. it's just nothing. It's just the ghost in the darkness, Hellraiser, bloodline. It's like, there's so many horrible movies, especially in horror lawnmower man too. It's like, gosh. Oh, man, the Lawnmower Man won, though, that movie. Yeah. Oh, I'm in there, but all these random sequels and movies, it's just... Totally. It's, it's crazy to think how that kind of revitalized it, and that's kind of one of the best things about it is how horror came back after that, whether you like the movie or not. Well, I mean, it totally... The thing is, is I've watched so many movies like this uh, recently, so it was really cool that... Tyler asked me to come on and watch uh, the Scream movies because I'd watch I Know What You Did Last Summer, I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, uh, Valentine, Urban Legends Final Cut. Hell so yes. I'd, been, I'd, I'd, I'd watched a few of these recently and just the influence of Scream. I mean, the, all these movies are so interconnected anyway, uh, from Kevin Williamson to the cast and all that stuff um, to the feel of it. Uh, you know, it, it, it totally sparked something that really had a lot to do with how we grew up and how we saw media, but also, you know, showed us the dangers of it. So, I mean, it's, it's amazing. So let's yeah. talk about the, uh, the story in this one. So let's do it. We got Sydney, the main character after obviously the awesome, most amazing opening of all time. Um, but she's the main character. You obviously have all these red herrings. Um, they're in high school, even though they all look like they're 25, but we're, that's okay with us. Um, God, like you said, the characters and how they interact are awesome, but the ending was just kind of one of those, like the whodunit was fun. And there's so many red herrings that when that actually hit in the end, you were so surprised. I don't know if you guys want to talk about kind of where that ranks on the endings for you, or um, if you want to get into what you thought of the ending and their motivation, which was kind of interesting, kind of taking on the whole um, deal with her mom as well. Well, I want to go back to the opening sequence because uh, yeah, that's not anything to skip over. I'm no, sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's all good. I just want to just bask and just it's, it's greatness for a while. Um, it's, it's still iconic, uh, years later. I, I kind of even put it up there with, you know, like the shower scene in psycho. I, I, I think it's at that level. Um, you know, the, the brutality and just pure terror just on display, you know, from, you know, opening to close. I mean, even years later, just, and, and after, you know, technology and, you know, films have, have gone on and on. It's still just so effective, even though, you know, it was definitely a film of its time, you know, with, you know, the calling and the stalking. And, you know, I know a lot of kids these days would probably watch Scream or like, you know, 
why are they using a landline phone and you know stuff like that but you know it it still manages to to just ratchet up the suspense um just minute by minute until um you know it just completely shocks you you know with the end result um and that's why my 10 year old self couldn't even make it through the opening scene because uh it just freaked me the fuck out um but yeah still still love the opening scene so much uh, yeah, I mean, so it, it makes me think of, you know, how on the phone, I guess it's Billy Loomis. As I watch the movie, I try to figure out who it is in that scene. Is that Stu or is that Billy? You know, how are they using each other and how are they, you know, complimenting each other and how they're being so sneaky. But like I think about uh, how he says, you know, who is the killer in Friday the 13th? And she says, Jason. And he says, no, it's Mrs. Voorhees. So I feel like in the new one or in something, they should say who's the first person to die in the Scream series? And people would say Casey Becker. And you say, no, wrong. It's I'm going to gut you like a fish. It was Steve. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, yeah, it's it's an awesome scene. It's it's so fun and uh, brutal. And uh, the end result, man, because like I don't know about you, because I knew Drew Barrymore when I saw this movie. I didn't know Nev Campbell. And so I thought mm-hmm. she was the star of the movie. And, the, and that ends, and you're like, wait, how, where does the movie go? Like, there's nothing better in a movie when you see a scene, and you're like, wait, how is – there's still time left. How is this going to keep going? And that's what this movie does. So Yeah, and, you know, Drew Barrymore was was asked to be Sydney, you know, for the series. Right. Like, you know, she was the biggest star of the film and was asked, you know, to – to be the lead and it it was actually her idea you know combined with Wes Craven that you know wouldn't it be shocking if you know the biggest star of our movie you know got killed off 10 minutes in and I mean I I can't imagine like I mean I I obviously don't remember it much right when it came out but I can just imagine someone going in blind to this movie expecting to see Drew Barrymore lead this cast and then just her being brutally slaughtered like you know immediately (laughs) Like, yeah, it's 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 a genius move. It really is. I like the uh, we can talk about a couple of cool scenes in here, but I love how they have the media descend on the high school after it happens. Like, kind of like how pretty much even more now how we sensationalize everything that has to do with tragedy. So they all come there. It's like all the high school students are like, what's going on? There's all these cars. But obviously, like high school students, they decide to still throw a party, even though multiple people have been murdered. Um, and that has a couple of the best scenes in it. Obviously the rules scene, um, with, with Randy is amazing. And then also you have, um, the video store scene. I think we're going to have a couple of these clips here to open and close the, uh, the episode, but just two of the best kind of back and forth of, of all time for me, at least. Yeah. Um, Jamie Kennedy and like Matthew Lillard, like if, if they weren't in this film, it wouldn't be half as enjoyable as it, as it is. They just, they have so much charisma and just bring this this joy to their characters that I don't think a lot of other people could have brought to that role. Um, no, you know I, I I love Sydney and I love you know Dewey and all them, but like those two guys uh, just ham it up and 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 I love it. Like they they do such a good job with it. It leaves you want they leave you wanting more with the characters. It's such a bummer because they only have a few scenes together. Yeah, you know, Stu and Stu and Randy, and that video store scene is amazing. You just want more of that, you know, because those, you know, for one, that does that kind of establishment does not exist really anymore. True. But, you know, too, it's just like it's just so, I don't know, it's so relatable and it's so grounded to probably, 
you know, a lot of the conversations people had who had just rented the movie and had gone home and watched it, you know, like, who's the killer? Who's this and that, you know, as you're watching the movie, because that comes like 45 minutes, 50 minutes into the movie. And, you know, I, I think that's what's so cool about it is it's, it's almost like interactive cinema without really, you know, being too uh, over the top with it. It really finds a nice uh, sweet spot when it comes to that. And it's just... You know, I mean, you can just say that this is just one of the best of all time, but it, it, it feels that because of those little moments like that. And, you know, the cast. I mean, who, who do you think is the MVP of the movie? Like, who do you think steals the movie? I mean, I think I think Jamie Kennedy steals the movie. Like, Randy, like, so? Randy is, like, that movie in a, in a nutshell. Like, you know, he, he displays all the rules for these characters to follow, and yet no one, you know, seems to follow the rules except him. Uh, and and I he breaks I, his own rules well, though he, he breaks he, his own he rules. Does, I mean, honestly, they all break the rules uh, eventually. Um, you know, Billy, you know, kind of you know sets his own rules as well uh, for different reasons. Yeah, he does. But um, but yeah, uh, Randy, I think might be my favorite character in the entire franchise. Um, and uh, we will talk just uh, next next movie just about how deeply I missed him in. Uh, and later entries, but uh, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, what, what about I, the, uh, the? Oh, go ahead. No, I'm, I was just going to ask uh, what character you guys think is the is the anchor. I, I think you're right, probably. But uh, two other characters I really enjoy in this is Dewey and Billy Loomis. They're just both total yeah. total opposites. You have Billy, who's just like out there trying to get laid ultimate, you know, like red herring that actually becomes true, which is kind of funny. Um, and then obviously Dewey, I love doofy from, um, <laughs> from the, from the other movie that they have <laughs> spoofing on it because he's but David so, Arquette's good. David Arquette's he's, yeah, he is. He's so like dumb and awkward and he's he like just, gets punk punked by his sister, even though as a police officer, it's just such a funny character. He's just so goofy. Like, all the time like he can he can and and i don't know if you've seen like david arquette like like interviewed he's actually more oh, I, awkward and goofy than he is like in the actual movies so i mean he he does fit this character like to a t and i know that they originally said that they wanted like dewey to be this like big hunky like muscular like cop figure and david arquette totally doesn't fit like you know that description whatsoever but I'm glad they didn't go with that because, like, I I feel like that's part of his charm is just his, like, you know, inability to, you know, see things before they happen. And, you know, him being this cop and, and kind of being the only adult around these kids, <clears throat> but still not being able to, you know, protect them himself, even though he is, like, the only active police presence, like, you know, around the action. So, um, but, yeah. Yeah, he's... He's cool. Yeah, I, I just love him. I mean, I, it's so... I miss David Arquette in movies now. I know he just makes crap now. And so it's it's a bummer because he, he's so good in this. And, you know, C-Spot Run, Ready to Rumble. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But he's he's great. He's great in these movies. Um, and he... I don't know. He really captures something that is very lighthearted to him that... I don't know. It, something about him is very comforting to know that he's <laughs> like there and he just gets the shit kicked out of him every single movie and survives, but it's still like limping along. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, it's great. It's great. But I like Billy Loomis. I think Billy Loomis is my favorite. He's so, so multifaceted. Skeet Ulrich just like was amazing in it. Just so, so dangerous and cool and just very creepy, very pervy in a lot of ways. And 
you know, that scene where she says to him, you know, uh, this movie's going to be a porno or whatever she says to him. It's just like, and just the way that is sold from him and his like manipulation of that is, um, really creepy in a lot of ways that I think holds up, you know, and I, I really like him a lot and I really kind of miss him. I don't think anybody can really hold up to him as those movies go on in terms of the killer and how manipulative and thought out and calculated he was. So, yeah. And, and you know what, he, he always talks about like, you know, he, he, he references psycho like two or three times, uh, in the film and he does have a certain Norman Bates quality about him. I feel like, you know, Norman Bates was very, uh, subdued, but you know, a complete lunatic, you know, at, at the core. And I feel like, you know, Skeet Ulrich as, as Billy does the same thing, you know, has this, just this quiet intensity just in his, in his eyes and his expressions and, you know, every scene that he's in, like, you know, you, you really want to root for him because, you know, you can tell that, you know, he's, he's just a very sexually frustrated guy. Like that's, that's all he is. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when, when he does go full ham, uh, at the end, he just, he chews that scenery so well and he eats it up. And I, I, I love, you know, just the back and forth that him and Stu have, yep. uh, at the end, like that's one of the best scenes of the movie is the, is the end kind of reveal and, uh, you know, just, you know, how they're going to get away with it and what they're going to do and, and why they did it. And, um, yeah, still, still such that, that that scene makes me nauseous to this day with the amount of blood and stabbing <laughs> that you know goes on at the end. It's so uh, just rough. <laughs> well, it, you get like a feel for all these characters too. I mean, that's what's in the writing is you get a feel for the world and the town. You know, like and that's what really makes you want to like rewatch the first Halloween movie too because you think about Ben Tramer like those whole times in the movies like it's this person you have no idea really who they are but you know about them in the town and so you know the other day I was I was texting Tyler and I said why did they kill Casey Becker and you said uh, something to the effect of she dated Stu and Steve stole her from Stu and he says that in the movie right yeah uh, when they're sitting around the fountain uh, uh, Sydney asked Stu he says uh, uh, she says Hey, Stu, didn't you used to date Casey? And he was like, yeah, for like two seconds. And then, uh, and then Randy jumps in and he says, before, uh, she dumped you for Steve. (laughs) And, and so that kind of just little reference, you know, kind of pointed to, you know, why they targeted Casey and Steve, like at the, at the start, like it's one of those blink and you miss it type moments. Uh, if if you're not paying attention. So that's what that's what makes the movie is stuff like that. And that's what makes it rewatchable. And, you know, and and people can say what they want about the legacy of like Maureen Prescott and what they do with the story behind all of that. But, you know, I like the direction that it goes as the trilogy rounds out. But um, you (laughs) You mean that you get that that Roman showed Billy the the video of uh, of his Marine cheating uh, on his mom with his dad. And that's why she <laughs> well, left. And that's why he decided to, to well, kill her. And put it, it, on makes cotton. Sen- it makes sense. I think it makes sense. I think it makes sense. But you know, I think as far as the motives go, as you're watching the movies, what the motives are, Billy is the one that's the most well thought out, right? Like of everything, but he totally screws everything up. I don't understand. You know, it, it, you know, it seems like he had it all down and then, there's just so many like little errors of this person didn't die, this person didn't die this way, you know, whatever. Neil Prescott runs away, the gun is gone, you know, all that stuff. But, you know, I, it, it's such a bummer that, I, I don't know, I was about to say it's such a bummer he didn't, he didn't get to like see his plan through, but it, he was so <laughs> close. 
you know, because he did make up all these rules and he had all this this plan in place. And I, they were really crafty in how they complemented each other, him and Stu. And it, what's fun about the movie is trying to think about, like, like I was saying a second ago, is, like, who is who in this situation? How are they using each other? And, you know, the scene where Billy sneaks into her room right after she was chased, you know, did he just set that up? You know, was that just him setting that up to try to look good in her eyes again? Or was that Stu and Billy was just waiting in the wings and he just jumps in her bedroom again? So I, I think about all these things, and I don't know the answer. And I love that. I think it's amazing. Why'd they kill Kenny? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just some of the, the, you know, secondary characters that are there that, you know, don't get as much screen time, like Kenny, the cameraman and, um, uh, Tatum and, and, and all them, like they, they really do round out the cast. Like that, that garage scene with Tatum, uh, is, is, is still brutal too. Um, I don't think anyone. I don't think anyone's ever been uh, killed by a garage door. Uh, from, I don't know if from... they could sustain that that sort of uh, weight, but she got him good with a few beer bottles at least. Yeah, but that, she was good. That back and forth was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, overall, uh, first scream, you know, is is still iconic. Uh, probably the you know s- still the best regarded uh, of the series. Um, of course, but. Uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll move on and we will jump uh, into the sequel, Scream Two. Uh, who wants to uh, jump in Scream Two? The Shriekwool. The sh- it's the Shriekwool. All right. So no, Scream Two. It, what's crazy about Scream Two is you you know we were talking about we're missing Spiral and how quick those Saw movies used to come around. With Scream 2, I think they it came out like 11 months after the original. And what was crazy is I don't think it had even hit home video, the uh, the first Scream yet. And because I remember seeing it around Christmas time, 97. And I'm pretty sure that's when I rented it. And lo and behold, I looked it up and that's when it came out on home video. So this movie hasn't even been available to watch in your home. And it had been in the theater for so long because it was those word of mouth. So you remember like we were growing up these movies would stay in theaters five, six, seven, eight months, you know, because they just kept going. And Scream is one of these movies that just kept making more and more money. So, you know, the old Weinstein crew, they fast-tracked Scream 2. And um, it was really tough for them to start the movie because they got this cast. And I think the cast is really good. Um, It has another really good opener, another uh, funny opener that Scary Movie parodies very well. Um... But, um, you know, in the supporting cast, aside from the uh, main the main crew, they added Sarah Michelle Gellar. They added Omar Epps. They added Jada Pinkett Smith. They added Timothy Oliphant, who hadn't acted anything. They added Jerry O'Connell. Um, oh, gosh. I mean, I think there's even more to name. I mean, Laurie Metcalf. All these, like, TV actors that were really cool and really hip at the time. Um, and so they filmed it in the summer, and they had to fast-track it. And... I don't know about this movie. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about it. I'm okay on it. Um, I think mm. Mickey really, his motive is awesome. And I think how they pair it with um, Debbie Salt, a.k.a. Mrs. Loomis, a.k.a. another awesome successor to Mrs. Voorhees kind of vibe to it with the short hair and all, um, really works well. Um, but the setup isn't enough. I think the movie really wastes its time in a lot of areas. And breaks its own rules. Um, we'll talk about it, especially with Randy. Um, but I still think it's worthwhile. Um, I still love it, you know, just because it's part of the franchise and I like to watch it. 
And it has an amazing scene in a cop car with poor Hallie, um, who who gets it pretty good. Um, it's a good kill. Sarah Michelle Gellar, um, beautiful as ever in that movie. Um, I loved watching her in her scene as CC getting to run around. But I mean, oh, and one of the most cringeworthy moments um, in Scream history, um, which we definitely have to talk about. <laughs> I already um, know what you're awful. gonna say. I already know what you're gonna it's say. It's awful. It's so it's so bad. But but um, you know, for what it's worth. Uh, I think the movie still stays on the rails, even though it was really rushed, and it's such a bummer they didn't get a little more time to let it develop. But um, another great opener. I mean, what are you gonna say? What, what, so, what that, scene? What, what scene were you talking about? Oh man, the uh, the Top Gun, the uh, where Jerry O'Connell sings and gives her the letters. Oh yeah, <laughs> he sings the top. I just I cannot stand it. It's so pointless for that movie. It's so tonally wrong. <laughs> It's funny. It's funny because in the making of, they actually also didn't like that scene. Like they're yeah. like, they're like, why is this like, why that song? Why this scene? Like, right. like Jerry O'Connell can't sing. He's doesn't have any singing talent whatsoever. Right. And and it just feels kind of thrust into this movie. And so that was one of the few missteps, like true <laughs> true missteps so that bad. that that Craven actually uh, put in the movies. I feel like why um, though? Why? It just, it's so, it's so silly. Um, but yeah, I, I, I know what you're talking about in that making of. It's, it's cool. I, it's that, um, Sydney doing the play, uh, with David Warner. Uh, he's randomly like the play director of it. All that scene, it's just way too much. I, I don't understand. It feels like the movie's like overly long with that. And then, you know, Mickey is in the first act of the movie and then completely disappears until the finale. And it, is really a shame, but the movie does have some some great scenes, like in the film class and all that stuff. So, yeah, well, I I think some of the problem with you know Mickey's screen time and you know uh, you know Timothy Oliphant uh, is you know I don't think that they ever really knew who they wanted the killers to be. You know, I've heard uh, multiple times of how you know the original killers uh, were actually going to be Derek and Hallie. Um, but I guess the script got leaked. Uh, it was one of the first right. true, uh, like internet, uh, film leaks. And so I, I think they kind of had to go back to square one, uh, uh, about, you know, who, who they were going to make the killer. And so, um, you know, Mickey definitely has a, a, a pretty cool motive. I mean, um, uh, especially for the time, yeah. but I also feel like it was just kind of thrust in there, you know, at the, at the last minute. Um, you know, I, I feel like Timothy Oliphant could have definitely have, uh, you know, brought a little more of the, of the creepiness, you know, that me, you know, a a, a little bit more of, you know, a little more Billy, you know, and a little less, you know, what he did, um, in the, in the final film. But, uh, no, I mean, I, I still love Scream 2, uh, like you were talking about that, that opening at the theater, uh, with Omar Epps and, uh, you know, Jada Pinkett, uh, is, still really effective uh, especially that uh that scene where omar epps uh goes into the restroom and there's that really <laughs> the really creepy whisper that I, I i still don't quite know what was going on there um but uh yeah he he got it good in the ear um <laughs> that that's a that's a horrible kill to go straight in the it's ear a horrible way to, it's a horrible way to die but man could you imagine how pissed you would be if you were trying to watch stab in the theater was that rowdy 
<laughs> yeah, especially at a premiere, I could see that happening at I like would a be so pissed, like I'd a fun so... r- fun retro screening where everyone knew what was happening later on. That'd be cool, but right, <laughs> yeah, as the as the initial premiere, oh, but that that opening so scene. I definitely love that opening scene. I don't know if it's just because uh, of when I watched it and it was, you know, I think I saw Scream and then I immediately saw Scream 2 and Scream 3, but I still love it for all of its flaws. That opening scene is awesome. I love you follow her to college. You get to keep uh, some of the main characters along with it. I'm glad Derek wasn't the killer because if her boyfriend was a killer again, then that'd be kind of starting a trend and easy to guess. So um, like you said, that the reason for the killing and how that all linked together was um, a little bit of an interesting reveal. Definitely not one that anyone would expect at all, but uh, overall I, I really enjoyed the movie. Um, I seriously, one thing I forgot to talk about in the first one is I love how Ghostface acts, even though whoever is in it, he's this clumsy sprinting, like no other killer gets beat up as much as he does from any of the franchises, even though it's always someone else. He seriously just sprints through the house, gets knocked over, falls over, you know, runs through things, gets beat up. And it's just hilarious. I think that's part of kind of the the dark comedy of it is how he acts and the funny lines that they have all the time when they're talking to him. And I think uh, two gets a little bit more funny. And obviously before we hit three, where three and four, where it's like a almost straight comedy at times. Yeah, I was just going to say one and like two still does a good job of mixing the horror and comedy elements before they go full on almost you know comedy satire in three um and that's something i do still like about two um but uh yeah um let's talk about for uh, a second the biggest mistake they made in the film franchise uh killing off uh my beloved randy um i (laughs) the first time i saw that i was so pissed like you know, because Randy, you know, was was the heart of that group. And, He's us. And, you know, he he was so smart to the rules and he knew, you know, what was around every corner. And I just can't imagine that character being on the phone with a killer and having his back turned <laughs> to, you know, a, a creepy looking van, like chilling, you know, on on campus. Like, I just can't see that. And God, I would have loved to have actually seen Randy like, you know, carry on through three and four. Uh, I, I, I feel like those films would have been so much better off, you know, with his comedic timing and, you know, him, you know, I could have definitely seen him in four, like passing along his, you know, horror guru isms to, you know, the, you know, film students in, in four. Like I, I really could have seen that and I would have loved to have seen that. But, uh, unfortunately, uh, Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson had other plans, but, uh, he was definitely missed in three. That, that was a big gap there with the, the, the kind of the comedic, obviously had the video of him, which we'll talk about later, but um, you're definitely right. It's a big mistake to kill him off. And I think everyone is disappointed in that. It was maybe just the shock factor or, you know, a beloved character that knows everything. You don't think he's going to die. And when he gets in that van and blood starts running down the sides of it, that was brutal. It's such a, it's not, it sucks that he dies, but it's not even that great of a kill. You don't really get to see, anything too intense like it, Sarah Michelle Geller got a gnarly knife in the back like Hallie got a very epic dramatic kill Randy is just you know who's the heart of the movie you know has his back towards a windowless van I just don't understand um, why that would happen because it, it, it just seems to me that they um, you know the thing is, is they had to kill somebody in the main cast otherwise it's, it's going to lose the suspense you know they had to and I guess 
you're not going to kill a star of friends. You know, you're not going to kill Sidney Prescott. You know, I guess you could kill Dewey. Honestly, I mean, I mean, honestly, I love Dewey. I mean, I love Dewey too, but I would have much rather him have gone out the way he did. Like, you know, his death, his quote unquote death was so much more dramatic and, and built up. And I could have definitely seen him, you know, like sacrificing himself to save Gail or something like that. And, and kept Randy around. Uh, in fact, if you would have gave me the option of chewing, of choosing who dies between, you know, Dewey and, and Randy, I probably would have uh, picked Dewey to die. Um, you know, no offense to David Arquette and that character, but I just, I, I, I love me some Randy. I, I can't get enough of that character. Yeah. He, I, I don't know. It just, it, it's crazy to me. Yeah. It is. It, it hurts. It's one of the ones that hurts and, but they had to do something because I mean, don't, don't you see what I mean? Like otherwise it's just, Oh, well none of these people can ever die. And it just kind of, it loses a lot of the, and scream always wanted to kind of have that sense of unpredictable, unpredictability, but yeah. it, it's funny in the fourth one, they say the unexpected is now the expected. So it's, you know, it, it pulls reversal. So you never really know. Can't forget to drop the uh, Tory Spelling, Luke Wilson, Heather Graham kind of cameos. Oh, that, that's one of my favorite parts about these movies is how ridiculous the the stab movies are. <laughs> Just amazing. Yeah, the, dude, Luke Wilson, epic. His uh, hair curtains. <laughs> yeah. Um, so funny. Especially being a high schooler is the best part about it. <laughs> did you know that those stab clips were actually directed by Robert Rodriguez? He really did do those. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, I didn't know that. which which I I think they gave him a nod in the in the fourth one when they're watching the first stab uh, at the Stabathon Film Festival. Uh, they actually put like his 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 film credit up there on the on the screen. I uh, saw that. So, which I thought was always pretty cool, because uh, so so I don't know why you can you guys can shut this down if you want, but so you know the stuff with Sydney and the play that she's doing. Mm-hmm. Right, that's dumb, right? That's yeah. pointless for the movie, right? Yeah. It's just, just for the finale is the whole reason for it, right? Yeah. Because that's where the finale is. That's mm-hmm. where it's staged, right? Yeah. They they needed that ending theater scene, you know, for the big... And it's a good scene. It it's is. a great It's a great place. It's a, it's a cool... But, you know, but it makes no sense for her character why she's randomly now into this, like, I don't know... I don't even know what kind of theater that was like Gre- Grecian, old Grecian Roman. I don't know. I have no idea, but it, it really threw me for a loop and it just tonally like takes this Gothic tone to the movie that I don't know what Wes Craven was really thinking with that. I don't know. You know. I, I guess the only thing I can think of is that in the second movie out of all of them, Sydney is kind of a little more like on guard, I guess you could say. And, you know, still kind of feeling it. Uh, from the events of the first film. And so, um, you know, introducing, you know, someone who's wearing a mask, uh, even though it just is your theater group, uh, I guess brings back some, some, some bad mojo for her. But I mean, yeah, I, you know, I, I think the film doesn't quite, uh, the, the scene doesn't quite fit into the film as, as well as some others. But um I, I do like that ending scene in the in the theater though. I, I love the reveal of, of Mrs. Loomis. I think out of all the killers in the entire series, I think that was probably the biggest surprise. Uh, because she didn't really tip her hat that much when she was playing mm-hmm. uh Debbie Salt uh throughout <laughs> the film. Um you just you you thought she was a rival to Gail. Like, you know, that's all sure. she was, you know, just trying to get the story before, you know, a proven reporter like Gail Weathers. 
and you know, I thought that they were just going to have it out, you know, at, at the end of the film. And I thought that's all she was, you know, just a conflict for Gail. Uh, and then we just get so much more from her. And I, I, I love her reveal because she, I, I think out of everybody, she has the, maybe the best motive uh, of, of anybody because, you know, you, you killed her baby boy, you know, and, and so nothing and nothing your mom is, ruined a relationship <laughs> right yeah so so nothing is is worse than a mother's wrath you know how did yeah, uh, gail not know who she was though you'd assume that she wrote the book she would kind of figure out who's who in the background they said uh actually in the film like no i've i've seen you i've seen pictures of you and sydney says this is some surgery and about 40 pounds later so oh, it's, nice. it's implied that she had uh, some some work done uh, for for her not to be as recognizable. Let's get into the uh, the two my two favorite scenes in the movie. I think you talked about it. One, the cop car scene. That is such a tense, awesome scene where it has a there's a mask on, so you have no idea you know what's going to happen or if they're awake and just messing with you or not. And then the other scene um, that we hadn't mentioned that I loved was the sound booth scene where she's going yeah. through on the college campus and she's in the sound booth and you can, I think they have the scene with, uh, with Dewey and her, um, it's just really, really intense. And that was an interesting way. I've never seen anything like that in a movie before where they use that, where you could see him, but there's a reason why she couldn't hear him because it was soundproof. So the, I love both of those scenes a lot. Cop car scene though. Like, I mean, I, I that to me is one of the scariest ones because like thinking to yourself, like you have to do this, but I don't know, pulling the way that they something about the way that they pull the the uh, rebarb or whatever it is around the cop car, that's that partition that separates it, always really freaks me out. That fear of that anticipation of that and not knowing it. And uh, like you end up thinking that they're going to be everything's going to be okay and everybody's going to be you know, <laughs> but then it has that nice reveal where you know they get poor Hallie, who I, I thought was awesome in the movie, who was great for Sydney's best friend, but um, that scene is just so killer, no pun intended, but it's it, it, one of the most tense scenes in the entire movie. And that sound booth scene goes on forever, too. It's a nice set piece. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it does. And I'd, I kind of talked about it earlier. Uh, you know, Dewey, you know, getting just stabbed in the back, uh, you know, like he always does in every Scream film. <laughs> um, but, you know, that that is like the, the closest to death he's he's gotten. Uh, I think totally. in the in the entire series, uh, you you really do think he's 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 gone. You totally think he's dead. Yeah, absolutely. It's a nice it's a nice reversal. He's he's a he's a resilient guy. But the thing is, is like with Dewey, if somebody could survive, it's going to be Dewey. So yeah, um, it's kind of sweet. Um, something we haven't talked about that I uh, want to talk about is uh, Liv Schreiber as Cotton Weary. Uh, <laughs> I, I I love that character because. Me too. He, yeah. he, he just wants his 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 damn fame, man. Like he got wrongly accused. Like he just he just wants to tell his side of the story, and he just you know he, he doesn't quite fit. Uh, his his character is, is just kind of there, um, you know, on this college campus. You, you know, this creepy ex felon uh, is just kind of following Sydney around. Uh, so I I do kind of like that red herring aspect of the film, but. Uh, him in the in the final film, kind of saving the day. Uh, I I I always like that aspect of his character. Yeah, he's a good character. I mean, he shows up for like thirty seconds in the first one, 
Mm-hmm. But th- yep. that's the thing is that movie builds the lore and then they expand upon the character. And yeah, he does. He's such a whore for fame. He like, you know, that, that interview or that meeting that Gail sets up, you know, he thought that he was going to be part of that. Like he's looking for any opportunity to be in front of the camera on this stuff. And, you know, I mean, in the third one, he gets his wish, but, um, you know, I, I do love that character. Leif Schreiber really kills it. He does feel out of place in like the best possible way. Yeah. <laughs> How about the end too? I definitely think Sydney probably facing some charges with the, uh, the headshot in the end there after, <laughs> after she's dead <laughs> to make sure she's, uh, she's gone. <laughs> I always love how Scream always fakes you out uh, yep. at the end. And I think this one has the best one, uh, you know, after after they shoot Mrs. Loomis and Mickey just comes out of nowhere screaming like a lunatic. I, I've always loved that part. And then they just let him have it. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've always liked the fake out uh, deaths of, of, of all the killers in the Screams. I think that's, uh, you know, kind of their, you know, uh, trademark. At, at the end of every one of them and I love it it's it's funny watching these after you've seen this the scary movie series because that scene in the bathroom where he puts his dick through his ear is the most <laughs> ridiculous scene <laughs> ever is. and now I totally think about that when I see this he's like giggling and he's wanting to like listen to see what he's what he's talking about <laughs> so are those so I still I know we're laughing at those movies I mean they're still funny right the first couple of them I, I, I need to rewatch first, them I have not seen them since I are. first saw them yeah yeah, first yeah two. I mean, like, they really, really put those movies, you know, put them in a tight spot. Because, I mean, like, David Arquette with Dewey, like, he says people come up to him and call him Doofy oh, yeah. to this day. And they think that he's Officer Doofy. And that sucks because, like, Officer Doofy, like, shits his pants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about and it's like, Sid- you know, that'd Sydney's, be so embarrassing. Uh, Sydney's chastity belt in her bush, too. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. It has like so the bar, bar, barbed wire on it. Ugh. Yeah, oh, man. it's just ridiculous. It's funny um, though. I guess kind of a final uh, word on Scream Two. Uh, you know, I I kind of like um, you know cliffhangers in in horror films. They were originally going to end uh, Scream Two. I don't know if 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 y'all remember the last scene of kind of her walking across campus and you know the camera you know pulling back to reveal you know the college campus and you know kind of happy ending. Uh, they were originally going to have uh, someone in a ghost face uh, costume watching her from the bell tower, I guess uh, kind of insinuating that that was Roman uh, from the third mm. film. Uh, I don't know. I kind of would have liked to have seen that. That would have been a cool ending to the Hell second yeah. one. It would have made yeah, the third creepy. less uh, look like less of a tie-in or like kind of, uh, you know, re- reimagining all the things that happened to make it work. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um all right, uh, moving on to uh, the trilogy, I guess you could call it. Uh, Max, you want to take uh, Scream 3? Yep, the conclusion to the uh, the original trilogy there. So it came out in 2000, so a little bit longer after here. Um, still directed by uh, Wes Craven. I rewatched, uh, I think Tyler and I talked about this. I've seen one and two maybe like 30, 40 times together. So I didn't rewatch those, but I did check out um, three and four because these are kind of my lesser, lesser watched ones. Obviously there's a drop in quality here, but um, this movie, we follow Sydney Prescott, who's now a, a loner in isolation um, working for the suicide hotline. Um, and with this movie, I, I don't know. I, I kind of liked 
how they how they did the thing with stab three obviously it's a little bit um ridiculous the the characters meeting who their characters are on sets being able to revisit woodsboro on the hollywood sets and kind of have her i think there's a scene where she comes out to the studio and it's empty there's some really great um kind of like you said meta there where she's in a movie set the filming about um, you know, what she went through and, and her being there. But um, this definitely takes a drop in quality here. Uh, I think the first two were like, what, high 80s probably on, uh, on Rotten Tomato. And this one has a 39%. Um, definitely of its time. It's an early 2000s film. The security guard character in this movie, I just can't get enough of that. He's just the funniest character in the whole entire thing of how he goes back and forth with uh, with Dewey and kind of protecting everybody. But um yeah, this is a, it's definitely a change up from the first two. Not, not really scary at all, at least in my opinion. It's more of uh, yeah, going into the, the comedy and looking at how kind of interesting it is with the, the Stab series. I think taking it maybe a little bit too far, uh, intermixing the events of Scream and Stab. But um, yeah, what do you guys think about this one? Well, um, yeah, I, uh, I don't think Scream 3... Uh, is as uh, as fresh and witty uh, as the first two um you know the the first two you know balance horror and you know comedic aspects very well uh three kind of goes all in uh more you know towards the comedy uh and the and the satire just of hollywood and you know the you know uh horror sequels that you know they're trying to talk about and um I don't know. I, I've I've always liked you know my my balanced scream series and not uh, all in on, on on one or the other. But um, I don't know. I I feel like the loss of Kevin Williamson uh, on this film uh, uh, three was the only film in the franchise that uh, he didn't he didn't write. Uh, Aaron Kruger, uh, who was kind of uh, a rookie writer at the time, uh, kind of got recruited by the Weinstein's uh, when Kevin Williamson was just. Uh, way too busy with other film projects. And uh, um, I believe he was on Dawson's Creek uh, still at that time. Uh, I don't know. It just didn't have the same pop. Uh, it didn't have the same, uh, you know, just just witty dialogue that the first two had. And I just feel like a lot of it was forced. Uh, a lot of times I felt like a lot of the characters, um, mostly the cast uh, of Stab 3, are, you know, more like cartoon characters to a point, And I really couldn't care less uh, if they get slaughtered or not, um, you know, unlike some of the characters from one and two that, you know, you're, you're rooting for and you want to survive. Uh, I just feel like, uh, a lot of those guys, you know, from three are just, you know, are, are, are very disposable and more of your, you know, typical horror sequel of, you know, just kind of, you know, they're, they're there to be a body count. Um, and I don't know, it, 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 one and two, you know, kind of built the rules. And I feel like three, you know, kind of, you know, just kind of is a, is a parody of, of itself in a, in a way. And I don't know, I've never, I've never been as much of a fan of the third, uh, as, as the first two myself. I'm just shaking my head internally. I know. I love this movie. I love this movie. (laughs) I like it so much. Um, that's good I, I it's better for us not all, not to all agree and go uh go one two four three so it's fun <laughs> uh, well this movie i think it's really funny and i think it's really clever um and how ridiculous it is and i like films like this like it's not as clever as something like get shorty or like the player 
or you know these movies that really send up Hollywood and things like that. I think it does it in kind of a sleazy way, and I think it knows it. Um, you know, I, you know the thing with Kevin Williamson not being there. I I don't know. I mean, I I love his scripts. Don't get me wrong, but I think Aaron Kruger did a pretty good job with it. I, I think that he really found a nice funny tone, and I do think that the that the cast, the backup cast that comes in, like that scene with Jenny McCarthy of her just complaining about her terrible <laughs> screen time and being 35 years old playing a 21-year-old and all these things in it are really funny. I think it really holds up well, and especially Parker Posey, who totally steals the movie, um, being like the, you know, being the Gail Weathers counterpart, like literally playing her in the movie and like trying to get into her mind. And dating, out, du- like, and dating Dewey. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. and I think Parker Posey is hilarious in general. Um, you know, and the movie has so many cameos that are a bit ridiculous. Um, even like Wes Craven shows up as like one of the tourists. Uh, Jay and Silent, Silent Bob. Bob. Yeah. Oh, so, I had Jay and Silent Bob in, in my notes and Carrie Fisher in there too. Carrie Fisher too. Um, I, I like it. You know, I like the meta quality of her being inside of a set that's inside of her life. Um, and I think Patrick Dempsey does really well as Officer Kincaid. I think he's fantastic, um, especially at the end scene. There's a moment where you like, is he the killer? Is he not? Um, I, I think he does well, and he has a really creepy scene um, as well, um, where you really start to question his his stuff. You know, his culpability and being a killer or not. But you know, as for the killer is Roman, I, I know that it's really extra bringing in like his brother. Like making it her brother. Like I was watching with my girlfriend earlier today, and she's like, "It's just." She goes, "I like it. I think it's really funny," but she goes, "Having it as his brother is just a little too much." But I disagree. I think it is very bombastic, very tabloidy, uh, just as how it um, starts, and I think it really deepens the stuff with Marine Prescott. That's really kind of creepy and dark and seedy and gross, and I feel it, and it feels almost like a like a '90s John Waters movie. You know, it feels like this kind of like trashy movie intentionally and, and that's what I like about it um, and I think the stuff with, with Sydney you know it does it does work thematically she has a big awesome golden retriever dog in the movie as well so I like that yep. but um, I do like the movie I, I think you know it, it's interesting because I'm, I'm pretty sure the first half of it is really Dewey and Gail and her bangs haircut driving oh god that wig is terrible that, that, <laughs> what is that, up with that? That wig is awful. Like who who made that who made that final call on that is what I want to know. <laughs> she had uh, the red streaks in the second one and the bangs in this one. What'd you guys what? think about her mom in in this? Or they had uh, Sydney's mom in those kind of nightmares. That was interesting. Reminded me a bit of like uh, Salem's lot with her at the window. Yeah, uh, I, that's not my favorite stuff in it. But. Yeah, and and Wes Craven actually said he avoided at all costs to bring in his nightmare roots uh, to the films. Like you know, he always wanted to be a little more grounded. Uh, but yeah, he he definitely showed a little bit of his uh, uh, a callback to a nightmare uh, in in that scene, which I'm I'm not a huge fan of uh, as well. But uh, I don't know, Cole. You you talked about how you know you always you know kind of wondered about the whodunit of, you know, Patrick Dempsey's character. I thought they were way too heavy handed. You know, it was way too obvious that he was not the killer. Like they tried way too hard to say like, (laughs) he's suspicious. He's the, he's the cop who's, you know, wanting wanting to find Sydney. Like, I, I don't know. I just thought it was, it was a little too obvious the entire time, but, uh, but you don't think that Patrick Dempsey's good in that role. I think he's so good. I, I, I think he's fine. Like in the role, I just think that like, I, I never believed for two seconds that he, was the killer okay 
you know. Okay. I, okay. I, but but when he got stabbed, uh, the the first time I watched three, you know, you know when they're building up in the in the final scene to who it is, and he gets stabbed by the killer. I'm like, well, who the fuck is left? <laughs> like like who is it? Because Roman's dead in the basement. You know right. when he you know quote unquote right. died. Like everyone else is dead. So that leaves like uh, Dewey, Gale, and and Sydney. Like who the fuck is the killer? And then you know he he's revealed to be Roman and that long drawn out exposition of who, what, why. Like, <laughs> oh, come on. I like I it. Just, it's shot really well. It's cool. I, I think, and I, I mean, you know, the voice, the voice work is so good in that scene. I, I love it. I love I mean, that. I mean, I've, I don't like movies that have to call back like family member, like unknown family members that did, we didn't even know existed, you know, and that four. kind of bleeds into four <laughs> a little bit as well. Uh, I don't. Right. I, I don't know. I, I I felt like they could have done. I, I mean, I, I'm not a Hollywood writer, you know, obviously, so I don't know what they could have done better. But I don't know. Just that that long lost brother or sister, you know, trope. I don't know. I just I, I it it doesn't work for me in this film. Nobody's saying um, it's like super clever. I'm just saying that it works in a very sleazy soap opera kind of way that I think the movie was going for. That's my. That's why I like it. Yeah. I don't know. It, 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 it was just a lot more effective to me when, you know, Billy and Stu like murdered this, of course. like murdered this woman just because she was having an affair with his dad. Like that just like, that's so much better than like, Oh God. Like she was this like small time Hollywood actress who got scarred after her years in Hollywood. Like, I don't know. I just feel like that's right. unnecessary in the long run. You know, for me. Like, well, you're, so you're saying it's just too much information. You're like, I don't need to know all this. Like, I don't know. Just the, I, I felt like these movies were better when they kept it simple. Like, you know, and, so, yeah, and, okay. and, 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 and I'm not saying that works for every horror franchise either. Like, you know, sometimes, you know, a little bit of backstory works wonders uh, for your horror franchise. I just, I don't like the way it all came together in three. Like, I really felt like... They could have brought another aspect. And I'm not saying I know what that is. Like, you know, I don't know what they could have done better, but I felt like it could have been better. Um, and and I still like the movie. I, I really do. It's just me not, too. It's just not one of my favorites in the in the franchise. The uh, the setting for the finale is awesome. Like you said, it's shot really well. And that house is is really cool that they go through. But yeah, when you like kind of talk out the whole thing with the reasoning, it's like, I'm your half brother born to your mom when she was a horror actress and I tried to reunite with her and she didn't want to reunite with me. So I wanted to follow the men that she hooked up with. And that's how I found out about the thing with, uh, with uh, Billy Loomis's dad. And that's kind of crazy with that. But, um, one of the moments where it got kind of too comedy for me is when they're in the house and they're getting this, the new script faxed over to him. And he has a lighter reading the thing because he cut the power <laughs> off. And he goes, and like something about, and smell the gas. <laughs> and then the house explodes to like a yeah. to total early 2000, late 90s, like action shot where it goes splinters into pieces and they all roll down the hill. <laughs> They're all okay. But yeah, you know, the Officer Dewey stand in is just blown to smithereens. <laughs> but Dewey, man, he, he pulls some bonehead moves in this one too. Like when he's shooting out the two way mirror. Or the mm -hmm. one-way mirror, whatever those are called, and he's like shooting up, and he's like shooting them all out. I'm like, why would for one, why wouldn't you shoot one? Go peek around the corner, save your bullets, and then whenever he's just shooting Roman in the chest, and they're like, head, 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 because <laughs> you got to shoot the killer in the screen movie in the head. Obviously, got to do a headshot. 
Um, and he just, you know, he's not. And then, and then another moment that really takes it over the top. I remember seeing this in the theater. Whenever, uh, whenever the killer, whenever Ghostface throws uh, the knife and the butt of it hits Dewey in the forehead. Oh yeah, yeah. I love that. It's really uh, silly, but I like with it. you saying the stuff about the guns, I was talking to Tyler about that off mic too. It's interesting because in this movie, there's guns all over. I think like Sydney right. has a gun, Dewey has a gun, mm-hmm. everybody's got bulletproof vests on. It's kind of interesting how they did that. And then when you get back to four, it kind of goes back to its roots. But when I was um, doing some research on the film, obviously coming out in 2000, this came out um, pretty close after the Columbine um, right. shootings and massacre. And I remember they were looking at kind of Tony it down and doing things like that but Wes Craven was pretty adamant that either needed to have violence or it shouldn't be called a scream movie so uh, it was interesting they went so heavy with the guns you think they would lean into other things instead of guns especially after, after the timing of it but um, I like it better with kind of knives and chasing and stuff going on like that so that that was kind of another flaw that it had is that everyone had a gun and everyone's wearing a bulletproof vest so you never know who's actually going to sure. die yeah and also another thing I really kind of don't like about the film is you know Sidney Prescott you know is is our lead character in in this entire franchise and just the lack of screen time that she has in this movie is a little frustrating uh to me like she really doesn't appear until about the last 30 or 40 minutes of the film like we only catch you know little little glimpses of her here and there and I know that had a lot to do with Nev Campbell uh you know being busy with you know with other projects so I know they couldn't uh, help it, you know, that much, but I don't know. I've, I've always liked to follow her character a lot more than, you know, the, than the duo of, uh, Dewey and Gale. Um, I feel like, uh, you know, this is Sydney's story and we, and we should treat it as such, but how, how have we not mentioned the opening? I, that opening is awesome. We got cotton weary, hundred percent cotton talk show host. Now <laughs> no, I no. love, I love the name. Finally of the gets his, Finally gets his fame, and he gets a call that uh, Ghostface is is watching his uh, girlfriend shower. So he goes back there, and uh, oh, I can't forget this. The mysterious voice changer where he's got this crazy component that can mimic anyone's voice. (laughs) So he mimics first Cotton's voice (laughs) to to think that it's Cotton that's talking to her. So when he comes to save her, she kind of hits him in the head and (laughs) makes him so he's not able to help out against uh, Ghostface. And then they have the same thing with, um, you mentioned Jenny McCarthy. She got called down by the studio and it's like, you know, they kind of mentioned that, oh, I never called her, even though he was obviously the the killer in the end. But it is funny how they had those scenes with that voice changer and kind of the comedy stuff that I loved when I was 10, where they say like, I'm going to gut you like a fucking pig or I just want to see what your insides look like. They're kind of just like things as a, as a juvenile that I love saying when I saw this movie when I was like 11, me and my friends would mess around with the scream voice and I even got the scream costume. And so you just put the voice changer in there and just say like funny, hilarious stuff. So just to, cl- just to, I, I love it from my childhood. So no, no matter, you know, the, the merits of the film, I still enjoy it. And I still like watching all four of these movies. Every time I hear, I want to see what your insides look like. I automatically, uh, see Carmen Electra saying, well, turn to page 42. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, with the boot, with the boob implant coming out with a knife. <laughs> oh man. Um, one thing though that I kind of want to touch on uh, that I don't think we've talked about at all uh, yet is uh, how fucking effective is Roger Jackson who does the voice in in every film. I, I love oh, yeah. I I love his voice. Like 
in the in that uh, still screaming doc uh, the, the, that I watched, he wasn't even on their radar. Uh, you know, you had people sending uh, auditions, you know, for the voice and just trying way too hard, being way too sinister, uh, way too creepy. And Roger Jackson just comes on and just kind of talks normally and is ten times more effective than anyone who you know sent over their their tape. I I love uh, his voice uh, in in every film. Just Pro- prolific voice actor too. Uh, when when I was looking at the cast, he's in uh, Mars Attacks and he's the villain in uh, Powerpuff Girls. Oh yeah. <laughs> also in uh, Mojo Wild- Jojo. <laughs> yeah, Mojo Jojo in the Wild Thornberries. Obviously goes all the way through uh, all four screams too. And you're right, that voice is just so creepy and cool. How when the phone rings and it just always comes on. And I mean, especially like in the later ones, like three and four how many times they have it where it's all kind of a joke. And so everybody is doing it and everyone has this, you know, voice changer or fakes the voice is kind of funny how it becomes like uh, you never know when you're actually getting a real call from the killer, when your friend's messing with you. For sure. Um, he actually did sound a lot like Billy uh, in the, in the first film. I felt like that kind of gave it away a, a teeny bit uh, in the first film, but, uh, but yeah, um, three just, uh, you know, and, and you know something I wrote down, you know one and two and and even parts of four have you know your your big set pieces, you know your big scenes, you know that you always remember. I I really can't think of any major scenes from three that I go oh, you know I I, I remember that you know um you know as a big part of the scream series. Like I just felt like the whole movie just kind of ran together. But on the on the set, oh, whenever Sydney's on the set. Of stab three, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then and also the the scene at the pool house, yeah, where the scene where it blows up. Come on, them running back and forth. <laughs> God, what a cool Patrick uh, Warburton was Stephen Stone. I just love that man. He just gives Dewey such a fucking <laughs> hard time about everything. Yeah. He it was like in this trailer when he's doing his rounds and he like takes like seventy cents off of his uh, off of his counter and puts it in his pocket too. <laughs> yeah, Patrick Warburton is really good. He gets it too. Yeah, for sure. Um. All right. Any final thoughts uh, about three? It's uh, it's uh, it's underrated. That's my final thought. Yeah, and and I just want to say, like, you know, as for for as much hell as I give three, I really still like it. Like, you know, there are so many worse films, like in a horror franchise. Um, I just prefer some over three, but uh, like Hellraiser Bloodline. Yeah, no well, gun. No, no. How do, how did they not make four right after this? It's still budget of forty million, made one sixty. I'm surprised they didn't just keep. They were burnt keep, out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The whole cast was was pretty burned out. Uh, I don't think Wes Craven wanted to do them anymore. Um, he wanted to do music of the heart and uh, <laughs> you know, stuff like and that. cursed and cursed and red eye and, and red eye. Yeah, red eye was good. I like no red gun. eye. And, uh, my soul to take. Oh, my soul to take. Oh, bad, 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 bad. Um, yeah, I love him though. I love him. No, I I do too. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Scream Four uh, was Wes Craven's uh, final film, um, and as you said, ten uh, year gap between uh, Scream Three and Scream Four. Um, you know, I don't know if we ever thought that we'd get another one after three. Um, I, no way, I, I didn't. I think no. I think we always thought that it was just a you know a a, a contained trilogy, and, and and that was fine. You know, and, and it wrapped itself up very nicely in three. 
Um, but when they announced uh, that four was coming out, uh, I was I was pleasantly surprised. Hell yeah! Um, I know that uh, you know the the original trio uh, all returned, uh, as in all the other previous films. Uh, Kevin Williamson uh, came back uh, as the writer once again. Um, you know, Wes Craven had had said that you know if he couldn't make you know a film you know comparable to you know the first three that he didn't want to make another one. But uh, apparently Kevin Williamson's, Kevin Williamson's script, uh, you know, he, he really enjoyed. And, uh, you know, they jumped right back into the franchise. But, uh, yeah, this one definitely features uh, Sydney uh, back front and center, um, you know, other than, you know, her, her role in three, you know, was kind of in the background. She's, she's back uh, in four. Uh, and I don't know, the whole cast feels finally feels old in this one. You know, one through three. Uh, they, you know, still had their youth about them, but uh, Scream Four, I believe, finally kind of shows them as, you know, being kind of these grizzled, you know, older, you know, damaged people who, you know, are kind of thrust right back into this. And I don't think they can handle it a- as well in in this film as they did uh, in the in the prior entries. Um, you know, it was it was definitely Scream, you know, for a a you know uh, a new generation. It was the quote-unquote meta opening uh, that was, you know, definitely something different. Um, I I kind of liked it. I know a lot of people didn't like the opening. They thought it was way too goofy. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I I definitely liked the movie within a movie within a movie. I I I, I got a good laugh out of that. Um, but I don't know. For for me, uh, you know, obviously, you know, Sydney goes back to you know Woodsboro and. Um, you know, the killings start happening again. Um, and, and I like that they took it back to Woodsboro. I think, you know, it kind of goes full circle back. Um, but I don't know. Um, I don't feel like Scream 4 fully utilized the, you know, concept and technology of the time that I felt like it could. I felt like, you know, social media and, and you know, cell phones and stuff were, were kind of getting into their prime. I feel like they could have done a little bit more with it. You know, I, I feel like they kind of dabbled in it, but I feel like they could have done a lot more. And also, I really do feel like our, our three main leads, you know, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, and Nev Campbell, are kind of a little on autopilot at this point. I feel like, you know, they weren't their their chipper, like, you know, selves like they were in the, in the first three. So I, I feel like that kind of took away... Uh, in the fourth one, but, uh, I don't know, some, some, you know, uh, some effective scenes, uh, that, that, that scene in the closet, uh, when he, uh, gangs up on their friend, uh, who they're talking to like right across the street, that was effective. Uh, the parking garage scene with Allison Brie, uh, I thought that was pretty good. Um, but I don't know. I felt like it brought it back to a little more horror than the third one was. Um, but I don't know. What are, what are your guys first impressions of scream Four? Um, I mean, as far as Scream 4 goes, I think I've only seen it three times. It's my third time to see it. Um, I was stoked when it came out. Um, I, I do not like the opening. I think it it's just really throws me off. Uh, but what I do think is funny about the movie is how it is part of still that somewhat like WBCW kind of universe and how it casts every single It Girl of 2011 to be in this movie. You know, sure. you ha- even like it girls of the past. I mean, Anna Paquin, Kristen Bell, Hayden Panettiere, Lucy Hale is in it. Uh, the the girl who plays uh, Coach Taylor's sister or daughter in Friday Night Lights 
is in it. Uh, Emma Roberts is in it. Allison Brie is in it. You know, uh, and I think that's Adam hilarious. Adam Brody. <laughs> Adam Brody is in it as one of the cops. Oh uh, um, yeah. But you know, I think they do a a, a decent uh, red herring with Tyler, but um, he's a little bit. You know, it's a little bit put on a little too much. And as far as the ending goes with who the killer is, I think it's really the most disappointing reveal. I think it's just so overdone. Um, but overall, it does feel like a screen movie tonally with the script. Um, it's funny that one kid who's like one of the film geeks like wears that streaming device on his head. So they try to utilize something. That's, but, very, um, that's very late 2000s that didn't really stick. After that, no. in my but but he had a he had a scene in there where he's like you know I'm recording the high school experience everyone's gonna be doing it someday and that's really true just not as a headset you know obviously through the lens of a smartphone on and Snapchat right. and Instagram and Facebook so yeah so partly so partly but I mean and this the movie also has this weird camera look to it I think we were talking about it before we started recording it's just like. For some reason, whatever the lenses they use, they just kind of look very cheap. Everything's like overexposed, especially like the exteriors. You can tell they're really on like a set of a, you know, and you can feel that. But, I, you know, I, 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 I will push back a little bit. I do think that the cast is okay in it. Um, I, do, I don't think they would have come back if they weren't either paid well or there was something that they enjoyed. But I think that the fact that Kevin was back um, with the script, it was, you know, either way, they're going to ears are going to perk up a little bit. So I think that kind of got them in. The door, but you know, I don't know. Overall, this is not my favorite at all. But I, I still, I still do like it. But I think the best scene is the, the best kill is the one with Allison Brie and like what they do with her character. And you know, they they do have some some interesting commentary with you know the aging reporter and Gail who like has no idea what she wants to write. She doesn't know her identity anymore. And you know, he she thinks that he's like sleeping with the the deputy. You know that that's running around with them. And they always like try to hint that everyone's a suspect. And they even like give her a scene where she's a suspect and it's just ridiculous. But. Yeah. Me and Max were talking about how many red herrings they, they, yeah. they throw out because I mean, scream, I mean, all the screams have lots of red herrings, but I feel like four, sure. four, four really piles it on <laughs> with, with who Tyler is the to. biggest. Tyler is the biggest man. He pops up every single time. Ghostface is there right after Ghostface leaves. It's crazy. I think you're thinking of Trevor. Trevor is is the name oh. of his. Of his, of his, his name is Trevor. Yeah. The boyfriend's name is Trevor. Oh, yeah. Trevor. Okay, I totally thought it was Tyler. Trevor. My bad. Yeah, we were, totally we were both. It was Tyler. Yeah, we were both saying Tyler. <laughs> uh, well, what about the scene when the the deputy's like uh, eating my lemon squares isn't cheating? <laughs> um, for me, uh, I, I think we talked about this before. I when I watched this, I liked it. I know it got um, a little bit better uh, reviews than than Scream Three did. Obviously, kind of bringing something new to it. But I definitely agree with you, Tyler. I mean, 2011. It's all about people being famous, recording videos, yet they totally ignore social media. I mean, they have parts where their cell phones are like going off when people are trying to figure out stuff. But you think that um, what's that? The Tragedy Girls uh, kind of comes after this, and yeah. where they're trying to get famous from it and do things like sure. that. I definitely think that's kind of where um, you know Ghostface <laughs> in this time is is uh, going with being the uh, being the final girl and wanting to get famous. So they definitely could have put some of that in to make it more more relevant to the time. I think, and I definitely agree with that. Well, they they reference Facebook in like the movie inside of a movie. Like Anna Paquin is talking about how there's like a, I think it's Anna Paquin, or no, it was the movie inside. She's making fun of the fact that inside the movie that there was a Facebook killer. 
that was like oh, stalking yeah. her DMs. And she said, well, and then Kristen Bell says, oh, well, they should know that it's not Facebook. Now it's Twitter. And I'm like, well, it, yeah. I mean, yeah, yes, Twitter is popular, but Twitter is not really popular for like everyday people using stuff. It's usually like media personalities and like journalists and things like that. Like it's not, you know, it's not just everyday person has Twitter. So I think that the movie is a little wrong. It didn't really know what to do with the social media aspect. Maybe it's because Kevin Williamson was 50 years old at the time <laughs> he wrote this movie, you know? Uh, definitely could be. I, I did like her coming back to Woodsboro. I mean, she's a uh, author that's now kind of after the third one where she's not scared anymore. It takes on her persona of being someone to, you know, help help women and help other people kind of uh, go out. And when they get to the bookstore and they have all of the ghost face uh, on the on the poles, all the mask, and it's the 15th anniversary of the original Woodsboro massacre. I definitely like that story from it. Um, obviously, with kind of bringing it to the new generation, some of it works some of it doesn't some of it's a little bit you know corny and cheesy and definitely you know targeted towards the you know 12 13 14 year olds at the time but i did like how it kind of progressed um i was trying to figure out how kirby had that house they made it seem like it was her house they didn't like talk about like her parents being gone she just has like a drink and it's like she's almost playing like a like a college character in a high school so i thought that was kind of funny i do like her character though uh i I think she's one of the bright spots of the film, um, and I wouldn't mind actually. Totally. Uh, they they never actually showed her dying, like you know, she, I mean, obviously she got stabbed at the end, but Wes Craven said that they might bring her back in a future film. Um, That'd be so, cool. So I don't know. I I wouldn't mind her, uh, you know, joining the uh, original trio in uh, in five. But uh, uh, one thing that always kind of just takes me out of the movie is how bad. Uh, when Emma Roberts is revealed to be the, the killer, how bad she starts hamming it up. Um, Mm -hmm. she like when she is, is revealed to be the killer. Uh, she just, she, she starts talking in this different voice. Like she automatically becomes this bitch that, that, I mean, I, I guess that's what they were going for because, you know, obviously she's Sydney's cousin and, you know, is a victim throughout the whole movie until she's revealed to be the killer. But just, she goes so over the top, like, you know, uh, especially in, in like the hospital with her, like comments to Gail about like, get your skinny ass over here. Like, you know, she's, she's being bitchy just for the sake of being bitchy. And I don't know. I, I like Emma Roberts as a, as an actress, but she really kind of went over the top with that. And, And I don't really think it worked at all. No, no, it does not work at all. And I, I don't like how the ending finale of Scream 4 is in two locations. Like, you need it to come together in, like, one big, massive, epic location. Because it goes from the hospital to the house. And Plus, I just, there's, no, there's no chance of her getting away then. I mean, like, when she's trying right. to, like, kill everyone in the hospital, like, you, you killed the and killers. Then and then right. you're going to kill everyone in the hospital. Uh, yeah, that was kind of, uh, it's like almost anticlimactic in the end. It, it really end- is. Should have just ended with someone like seeing her in the house um, doing the killings. I don't really talk about it much, but it's um, Sydney's. Is it cousin? Yeah, cousin. Mm-hmm. So it's her yeah. cousin, and she even like has her mom killed for it, and just goes totally mm-hmm. all in. And I think Tyler is mentioning it earlier the the hidden family members. She has a whole entire crew of 
family members that lived in Woodsboro that she never visited, never, right. you know, hung out with when, when her, when her mom died and, and later on. So it's kind of interesting how they brought all of those characters back. But I think Tyler said one of the best kills was the, uh, the one where they're watching Shaun of the dead and they're talking to their friend across the way. And she's like, I don't want to go over there. You have the angel of death over there. And then he mentions that, that he knows they're watching Shaun of the dead and they think it's because he's there, but he's really overhearing the conversation in the other closet and he pops out. And when Nev Campbell goes to the crime scene, they put the most ridiculous amount of blood in there. looks like they like spray yeah. paint. They, they use like a hose in a yeah. bucket and just painted the entire room with blood. So it, it looks like the scene uh, from the original nightmare when, you know, Johnny Depp got sucked up into it the really bed. Does. Um, Maybe it was an homage that yeah. is true. What, what about the kill of the uh, police officers? We got Adam Brody and then the, um, I forgot his name. Uh, uh, Anthony other Anderson. Yeah, where he gets the knife right in the middle of his forehead. Yeah. That like one Bruce is Willis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. It's all right. But I, I like the meta stuff. They bring it up. Like he goes, I'll be right back. And he goes, oh, shoot, I shouldn't say I'll be right back. And he goes, all right, you stay here. Or I could stay here and you'll go and I'll, I'll end up dead. I'll go. And then he goes because they're trying <laughs> to figure out what's the best way of them not getting killed in a horror movie. So they definitely go super meta and some of it works and some of it doesn't. I like how they use the aging cast as kind of being out of it. Like Gail says, I'm going to go to the Stabathon, which I love that scene. I thought that was super cool. Everything in the, uh, mm-hmm. the Stabathon area and that whole setup, watching all the movies. But she goes, this is the most likely location because it's meta. And he goes, meta. She goes, I don't know. All the kids are just saying it. <laughs> you know, there's actually a rumor, uh, or I don't know if, if it was a rumor, but Matthew Lillard has said that they wanted him to come back in either three or four and, and be the killer. I don't know. I thought that would have been a lot more effective than, uh, that's some random cousin and her uh, high school cohort. Um, well, what I heard Matthew Lillard say is that he was paid for Scream. I think it was Scream 3, mm-hmm. but he never showed up to be filmed in it. Really? Like he got <laughs> paid for it. Yeah, and that happened with um, that happened the same with Marlon Wayans for Batman Returns. He got paid millions of dollars, but they never used him in the movie. Marlon yeah, Wayans I, is going to play Robin. Yeah, I, I, so sometimes that'll happen. I had heard that for sure. Well, what would you guys think about the Charlie Walker motivation, though? His character uh, uh, with, with Jill Roberts, because he was like he's along for the whole way. He's kind of like putting blame towards um, towards Trevor too, and then at the end, it's like it seems like they almost do that just because you know Emma Roberts couldn't have done everything, and there was two characters, but he was like the least likely person. It seems like they kind of just threw him out there because you'd never guess him in the Who Done It. Out of out of every single killer, I think in the series, I think he was definitely the weakest like reveal of of anybody, even even Emma Roberts killer, yeah. like which I don't right. like. But uh, yeah, he just he was just kind of there, you know. Um, he really didn't have a good motive. He didn't have, um, you know that that uh, you know backstory that a lot of other of the of the killers had. So yeah, not. Not a fan of... Andy got the Matthew Lillard treatment. I did like that. They had so many callbacks from the other films that I didn't catch when I first watched it, but upon repeat viewings, they keep using like similar scenes like they have when they have someone tied up right outside the house um, in the finale when they're, when they're there, just like, um, just like Steve was, and they have a bunch of kind of scenes that they copy, and I thought some of those were cool. kind of reminded me of uh, the new Halloween where they use similar scenes and shots to kind of do callbacks to previous films but didn't really overdo it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I do like some of the callbacks from 
especially the first one. But uh, yeah, overall, um, I think it's kind of uh, the the consensus is that uh, you know the first two are, are definitely uh, a little bit higher in our wheelhouse than uh, than the last two. But uh, I don't know. Let's uh, let's find out uh, in each of our personalized rankings. Um, I guess I'm just going to start. Uh, at my uh, least favorite and then go down. Uh, my least favorite is Scream 3. Um, just, uh, you know, just wasn't wasn't quite a fan just of the of the constant comedy. Uh, I felt like it was definitely the weakest uh, written of the series. Uh, so, um, like I said, still like the movie. Still like it as a Scream movie, but uh, just by far my least favorite. Um, moving on to number four, um, you know, once again, you know, it, it, it had some effective scenes, um, you know, but it definitely fell flat, uh, with the killer reveal, uh, and just a lot of, you know, retread that they took, uh, with the series. So, uh, four, uh, definitely not as high on my list, uh, as the first two, but it's my third favorite. Uh, second favorite is Scream 2. Um, you know, it's the, it's the best sequel, uh, in, in my opinion, um, you know, Lots of great set pieces, uh, great, great kills, um, you know, great ending. Uh, and I feel like, you know, that the, that the franchise was still kind of on, on, on top, uh, you know, when two came out. So two, uh, is my second favorite film and no surprise here. Uh, my favorite film in the series is the first one always will be, it will never be touched. Um, you know, still ranks as one of my top 10 favorite horror films of all time. Uh, it's iconic. Uh, it, it really does like stand the test of time. And, uh, I can't tell you just how much I love that film and how many times I will just continue to watch that film over my life. It'll, it'll never get old ever. Oh man. Um, so my rankings of these films are, Coming at number four is Scream 4 because of the reveal and the camera work. <laughs> Still think the script is pretty good. Uh, number three, right? So that'd be my third favorite would be Scream 2 uh, because of, mainly because of, as much as I like Mickey's motivation, the fact that he is so absent from the movie. The Jerry O'Connell, what are the, what's the song? You Lost That Love and Feeling? Is that the name of the song? I, can't I Think I Love but You by David Cassidy. I Think I Love You by David Cassidy. Yeah, that's so fucking stupid. Um, <laughs> and then the theater stuff, the theater stuff. Everything else, you know, it has some good moments. The car, the sound booth, the opening, um, and the film school scene uh, is fantastic as well. But I think it's a little long, a little, it's a little disjointed. It doesn't really have a great tone. Uh, my second favorite is Scream 3 because I'm apparently a crazy person and I like this goofy-ass <laughs> movie. Um, but I like how far they try to go with Roman and all that stuff. Um, I think they really try to push the boundaries. Um, and, I, you know, man, uh, Kevin Williamson, he was off doing some other stuff, man. Gotta love the faculty. Gotta love teaching Mrs. Tingle. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, um, you know, I mean, he was off doing other stuff, and that's cool. But I think that one was really fun. And then, of course, Scream 1. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. It always will be. I'll watch it a million times over. What else can I say? So those are my rankings. 
And I've been having the hardest time going back and forth with what's going to be three and what's going to be four. Um, I, I mean, I think there's merits for both of them and there's obviously demerits for both of them, but I think I have to go with uh, pretty much similar to what Tyler said is a uh, scream three would be my least favorite coming in at number four. Um, still enjoy it. Just kind of got it a little bit too, too goofy. Um, for, for my liking and kind of where things go with the crazy backstory with the movie producer and trying to um, uh, fit everything into previous films. Then my number three would be Scream 4. Um, obviously, it has some issues uh, with the film, both with uh, the killer and the end and kind of areas um, that it could have improved upon. But overall, I thought it did a good job kind of wrapping up the story and giving us something new and did a little bit better job than than three with um, telling a good story. Um, obviously, part of that would be Kevin Williamson. I think um, if he was in three, I probably would have those reversed, but you never know. Um, then at number two, also for me is Scream 2. So it looks like I have the same list as Tyler here. Um, but Scream 2, I know we kind of talked down about it a little bit, was rushed. There were some issues with the story, but just coming out right after it, I think it had the same impact for me, um, being just such a fun, crazy horror movie. They just did something other than other films. It seemed like previous films either got kind of you know, in the nineties, at least got too heavy or got too funny. And they just had a really good mix in scream one and two. Um, and then the number one for me is scream one. It's on my top 10, uh, favorite movies of all time. Just can't be beat. Every character is awesome. All the cliches that it brought forward to future horror films and just so many great moments. And just like Tyler, I'll put this movie on just randomly. My wife will be like, what are you doing? Like, why are you watching scream? You've seen this movie like 30 times, but just can't, can't be beat. Just got to always, you know, be rewatching it, especially around fall. I love it when school starts and they have all of the school scenes. It's just comfort food for sure. It's never enough. You know, you've watched it 30 times, but let's, let's watch it 30 more. You can never <laughs> watch it enough for sure. All right. Well, that was fun. I, I absolutely love this franchise. Uh, it's only second to uh, Halloween as, as my favorite horror film franchise of all time. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope five does get made. I hope, uh, uh, I hope the new directors can bring something new to the franchise. And, uh, and yeah, can't wait to talk about it with you guys uh, in year and a half, two years. whenever. It comes out. <laughs> but, uh, Seriously, I think th- th- they were talking about filming in May 2020, but I don't know if they're even able to do that in, in Los Angeles no. yet. No, no, it's not going to happen. It's, what do you think will come out for Scream 5 or Avatar 2? Uh, James Cameron is so hung up on Avatar 2. He thinks it's going to beat Endgame, and that movie just hit at a perfect time where 3D was amazing. It was the you know coolest use of technology. Now it's going to do nowhere near those numbers, man. Movies that make right. like $500 million. <laughs> And And you know what pisses me off? He's going to re-release the first Avatar, and it is going to pass Endgame after that, which does kind of tick me off that Cameron has to has to resort to that just to get his final word on the on the number one movie. But uh, well, that doesn't count then because if he does it in re-release, it's cheating. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, I I could I couldn't be less uh, interested, excited, pumped uh, about Avatar. I saw the original Avatar in the theater and I have not seen it since. Don't care to. Don't want to. Um, you know, I might catch two, you know, down the line, uh, on a random HBO night, but, uh, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't care less. Um, I'm much more looking forward to screen five than, than avatar. Hell yeah. 
Hey, well, what about what about what's the first horror movie we're gonna see in theaters? That's new. Is it is it Candyman end of September? Is there anything before that? that quiet that's place. Big? A quiet place. Wait, did they get a date for it? Uh, yeah, it's in September. I can't remember okay. the exact date, but it is in September. So I guess I mean, in the meantime. Sitting here in we're May, not- we're going to have four more months to fill of uh, old classic favorites and uh, tons of other stuff while we patiently wait for, for the release of uh, new horror films. Hopefully something else drops on VOD that's that's sitting out there. I keep hoping New Mutants is going to drop on Hulu or, or oh, even Disney be Plus because they just need to do it and, and get rid of it because it's better than it getting shelved permanently. <laughs> right. So, I mean, so we're not going to have anything except probably Tenet, Mulan, and maybe Black Widow. Who knows? Wonder That's Woman. It, right? Wonder, Wonder Woman. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Those, uh, those are July. Uh, at uh, Actually, Black Widow's uh, in um, um, November. Uh, I think Tenet and Wonder Woman are the only scheduled ones for July. But uh, and then I think the only two movies in theaters. Those I, that, I, and Mulan. I, and, they're gonna and, crush it, and, and, and they're gonna make all the money, all the freaking money. And that's all that's gonna be is just three superhero movies in theaters at all times from now on, plus some old stuff that they <laughs> that that they play. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think we got tons of good stuff coming up. I know we had some uh, potential, maybe some summer horror movie series, some underrated gems. Uh, obviously, tons of stuff that we have lined up to talk about. So we'll definitely keep you busy until September when we can get into a uh, quiet place too and, and Candyman. but excited to keep things going here. And hopefully um, we get back to work because I know for me, my commute on the way to work is when I always listen to podcasts. So I have a ton to catch up on just because I haven't had time around the house. So hopefully that helps uh, get things going here for everybody. For sure. Um, and in the meantime, uh, you can follow me guys on uh, Instagram at the dot shape dot 1978 uh always posting stuff that i'm watching uh tv series uh old movies uh and everything in between so uh, give me a follow when you can um and as for me there is a meowing cat outside of my uh very uh professional <laughs> studio that i'm recording <laughs> out of um but uh yeah you can find me on I don't know. Can you find me anywhere, guys? I mean, you can find my writing on freshfiction.tv. You can find it on Rotten Tomatoes page. And, you know, I'm on my personal Instagram, Grams by Cole, if you want to see what's up. I post stuff on there, too. Uh, and I do other things when I have time and when I feel like it. But mainly, I kind of like to just lay low, and that's what I do. So, yeah, find me on this podcast, I guess. <laughs> your, uh, your backyard looks awesome. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I saw that on Instagram. It's uh, definitely good for the quarantine. Um, for- oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot to post stuff in my backyard. Yeah, yeah. I uh, <laughs> definitely hang out there with my dogs and all that kind of stuff. It's fun. And then for the uh, show and, and myself, uh, the show you can follow on Twitter and Instagram at Scream Cinema Pod. And my personal one is uh, at Screaming Cinema, both on Twitter and Instagram. So um, excited for this episode to come out to you guys. And we will be back in a couple Fridays here um, with some new content. So stay posted. And I think we definitely should be doing a viewer listener episode soon. Maybe give some movies uh, for them to throw out or have them throw out some recommendations to maybe have us watch some films we haven't watched or revisit some things that, uh, that some of you guys like. So definitely keep an eye out for that on Tyler and I's Instagram. We'll be right back.
Thank you.